Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. Going here. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Ohioan Podcast. Craig Shop with you. Uh, today, we have Bob Garber with us, our New York City film critic. Bob, how are you doing? Hello, Craig. Happy Monday. I'm doing well. All right. Well, we've got a couple of sequels uh, that you uh, saw over the past week here. The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard and Peter Rabbit, too. So we'll get started with The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. This is a uh, a sequel to, I guess, what was a popular enough movie to have a sequel, starring Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson. Um, what did you think of the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard? I, I thought it was terrible. Um, <laughs> there was very little reason to do a first movie in this franchise, and there's definitely very little reason to do a second one. Um, all these actors could be off doing much better projects. Uh, this movie is... Uh, just a thinly veiled excuse to get these uh, three actors, Reynolds, Jackson, and Hayek, uh, on screen, uh, just uh, cursing for an hour and a half. Uh, which, uh, given that Jackson's in the cast, um, I know sounds appealing, but it gets old quickly. Yeah, and also uh, joined by Antonio Banderas. So, uh, you know, sort of a nice list of, of, of from the cast here, but. Uh, you know, you said that this movie really didn't deserve a sequel to begin with. Um, you know, it made $11 million here over the weekend. It may or may not spawn more sequels, depending on how it uh, how it's perceived here in the, in the, in the coming weeks. But uh, like you said, you know, Ryan Reynolds has the Deadpool franchise, among other things. Sam Jackson has, you know, a Marvel projects and, and pretty much anything else that he maybe wants to do. Hayek is a great actress. Anything that stands out about this movie that made it worth the, uh, you know, almost two hours of runtime. I liked, uh, I liked a new character played by uh, Frank Grillo. Uh, he plays an uh, Interpol agent from, I think, uh, Boston. Um, and he's, he's actually good. He's a fun new addition to the franchise. Uh, but otherwise everything else just falls flat. Well, and also Gary uh, Oldman's in this cast too. Uh, was the Gary action Oldman. at least? Gary Oldman's not in this. I don't know where you're getting Gary Oldman. Uh, it says he's listed on the cast here. Hmm. Yeah, he, he played uh, Vladislav Dukovic. Uh, that's he was in the uh, first movie. The first movie, okay. So uh, did they have like a flashback with him or something? Or uh, nope, not sure where you're where you're getting that. Well, it's in it's in the IMDb cast list, so. Um, well, let's just hope that uh, for some reason Gary Oldman got paid twice for this franchise. But yeah, uh, <laughs> was the action at least entertaining in this movie? Uh, no, no, a uh, bunch of quick cuts, uh, very uncreative with the action, uh, hard to follow. Just, uh, 
Just, just uh, when the director runs out of ideas, he'll just kill everybody in the scene. Okay. All right. Well, let's hope that uh, maybe this is the end of the franchise. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, you know, sequels are kind of a thing of the future and the thing of the past and the thing of the present these days with uh, money grabs out there. But uh, what about Peter Rabbit 2? Uh, well, actually, first, before we move on, what was your final grade for the Hitman's D. Wife's Bodyguard? Okay. D for, for Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Okay. Well, now we go on to another sequel, Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway, uh, another sequel here. You know, Rose Byrne, Donald Gleason, very fun actors and actresses. But uh, what do you think about uh, the sequel here to Peter Rabbit? Okay, this one, fortunately, I liked. I liked okay. it a lot. Um, and I watched the uh, first one for research uh, somewhat reluctantly, but it turns out I, I liked both movies a lot. So okay. it really uh, picked things up on the tail end of the week for me. Tail end. Unintended, <laughs> huh? Rabbits. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I you know, Gleason and Byrne are always kind of charming on screen. Um, I you know, probably good chemistry over from the first one. What, yeah. what did you what did you what did you find charming here about the sequel? You know, these movies aren't um, tremendous with their substance. I don't really get into um, the story in this movie about uh, Peter going through. I get Peter Rabbit going through an identity crisis of some kind. Uh, but just the humor is really good. It, it hits more often than not, and it uh, makes for a really fun kids movie. Well, and a good voice cast, James Corden, Margot Robbie, um, Haley Atwell, Elizabeth Debicki. I mean, so pretty good ca voice cast here, you know, lending itself to these rabbits. Uh, what did you give a uh, final grade-wise here for Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway? B. B, a okay. nice B. All right, so there you go. At least uh, a sequel worth seeing here. So hopefully uh, yes. people will find that. Although uh, box office-wise, uh, only about $6 million finished in third. Uh, so uh, we'll see how maybe the word of mouth can can help out Peter Rabbit too. So That's true, um, but it is uh, worth noting that it has um, overtaken In the Heights, which is a movie that opened mm, right. uh, the same weekend. Right. Right, that's true. So, so it, it, it actually, it actually appears to have, to have won the weekend uh, that it opened, even though it didn't win the weekend itself. Sure, sure. Yeah, definitely. Okay. All right, Bob. Well, uh, you know, obviously, you know, when the, uh, the the amount of reviews are a little bit scarce in a week, we like to do lists. We've done best actor, best actor, our favorite actresses and actors. Today, we're going to look at best directors. So, I uh, didn't know if you wanted to go first here, Bob, but uh, we're going to look at uh, our top five favorite directors working. Well, um, I went uh, I went first last yep. week. You're um, right. So, so you want to uh, take Yeah, I'll start it off. Yeah. Well, this was a tough list. I don't know if it was hard for you to compile or narrow it down to your favorite five, but um, I had a lot of talented uh, you know, directors that missed the cut. David Fincher, Spike Lee, uh, Guillermo del Toro. So there's a lot of you know great talent that I kind of had to leave on the cutting room floor, but I think these five directors kind of stood out the most for me. Uh, at number five, one of my favorite working directors, even though he doesn't work always consistently, he doesn't always have a, a movie every other year, or every couple of years, but lately he's been a little bit more consistent. Paul Thomas Anderson is number five on my list. Uh, Primarily uh, for his work, Boogie Nights, Magnolia, two of my favorite movies of his, uh, but also The Master is a very good film. There Will Be Blood is probably my favorite film that he's made. It's probably the best film that he's made, um, but also enjoyed Inherit Vice, which is sort of a kind of a screwball comedy, detective comedy. Uh, but he also will have uh, a movie coming out this year. It's untitled so far. 
but I can't wait for that. Uh, a couple of years, or 2017, he had Phantom Thread, uh, which was also another well-crafted film of his as well that uh, people should go out and see. So Paul Thomas Anderson makes my list. Uh, glad he's working a little bit more uh, consistently behind the camera because he is uh, truly one of the great American directors that we have and uh, definitely want to see him do as much as he can, although also want him to, you know, to win an Oscar too. That'd be nice. He's been nominated eight times, but uh, I'm sure at some point his time will come. So number five on my list, Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, number four on my list, uh, these next two I get into sort of more of a, uh, event filmmaking. Denis Villeneuve, uh, one of my favorite directors working today, uh, has directed incredibly uh, Blade Runner 2049, which I think is actually even better than the first one, which is sort of a surprise. Uh, I did not expect that when I came into uh, the theater to watch that, but uh, also has made great thrilling dramas like Sicario, Arrival, um, he's got uh, Dune coming out later this year as well, uh, but he's also made Enemy and Prisoners. Prisoners, one of my favorites with Hugh Jackman, just a terrific drama as they look for missing children. Uh, he's got Cleopatra coming out, uh, it, or at least it's announced uh, here for the future, which will be sort of an interesting project as well. Uh, so I can't wait to see more from him. Always kind of now becoming this uh, event filmmaker that, you know, whenever he has a movie coming out, I definitely want to uh, rush to the theater to go see it. So um, in the same vein of that, another event filmmaker, Christopher Nolan, uh, makes the list number three. Um, obviously, he started out a little smaller with movies like Memento, uh, The Prestige, more dramas. Of course, Memento was... Uh, the movie that went back in reverse with its narrative, which was a, a very interesting structure at the time. Uh, but he's also made sort of the popcorn films like Batman Begins and The Dark Knight and Inception. Um, and really, for me, you know, the last couple of movies he's actually made, Tenet and Dunkirk, although most people really just hail Dunkirk as maybe his masterpiece, and also a lot of people love the, you know, Tenet as well. Those are two movies that I would actually put further down on my list of my favorite Nolan films, uh, whereas I would put The Dark Knight and Interstellar and Inception as sort of his crowning achievements behind the camera. But uh, I think he's gotten to the point now where wherever, whenever he has a film coming out, you really want to make, you know, make time to go see it. Um, I saw Dunkirk and 70 millimeter print, which was very, uh, you know, a very engrossing experience, even though I didn't love the movie as much as I wanted to. It still looked gorgeous and it was great to experience it on the big screen, uh, which is something that Nolan always wants every moviegoer to do, which I always appreciate being a movie lover. Uh, number two on my list. And these are probably this is probably one of the more obvious choices for me. But Martin Scorsese. I mean, this guy's had decades worth of, of great runs of, of filmmaking, you know, whether it's Raging Bull in 1980, uh, The Irishman more recently. Uh, he's got a couple of big projects coming up with Killers of the Flower Moon and Roosevelt, which I'm always interested in seeing anything about Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, but he's also made great dramas like Silence and The Wolf of Wall Street. And I really think one of his more underrated films was Hugo from 2011. I really enjoyed that. It was a nice upbeat change of pace, I think, for Scorsese. Um, but number one on my list is uh, Quentin Tarantino, probably going to be the most uh, 
uh, talked about, I guess, on this list. Maybe some people love him and some people hate him. I'm in the category of someone that loves watching his movies. Uh, Pulp Fiction is my favorite movie of his, which I know is probably the, of course it is, but um, also really loved uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, his last film from 2019. I thought really a great return to form, even though I didn't hate anything about The Hateful Eight or Django Unchained. I just really loved what he did with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Really made me feel like we were, you know, thrust into the old Hollywood, if you will. And uh, Di DiCaprio and Pitt were fantastic in that film. Uh, but also loved Kill Bill Volume 1 and Volume 2, Inglorious Bastards. Jackie Brown is also criminally underrated. Um, but uh, for me, Tarantino, number one on my list. He's also one of those event filmmakers where his movies aren't necessarily the, the, the big popcorn entertainments, but they're always something that I have to go to the theaters to see and, and always uh, want to see. So that's my list. Uh, Bob, what do you think? And let's move on to your list. I uh, think you make some uh, very good uh, choices. Uh, I'll say that for now. Okay. Um, for my list, uh, number five, a director who has twice achieved the Academy Award for Best Director, uh, without leading either film to a Best Picture win. Uh, that's Ang Lee. Mm. Uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was uh, set the tone for a decade plus worth of uh, of high flying uh, martial arts films. Um, then there was Brokeback Mountain, uh, which should have been a, a breakthrough for LGBT LGBTQ plus. Uh, films winning Best Picture at the Oscars, uh, Life of Pi. Mm, love Life of Pi. Uh, yes, Life of Pi, a visual extravaganza. Um, I want to say I, uh, The Ice Storm. The Ice Storm is a movie that I uh, love right. from early in his career, Sense and Sensibility. The man can do any genre. Right. Um, he's fallen out of favor recently with uh, Billy Lynn's uh, long halftime walk, uh, which got a weird screwed up release uh, where it wasn't released in the format that it was supposed to be. And uh, Gemini Man with Will Smith was just a huge misfire, but he still directed uh, a bunch of great movies. Oh, Lust Caution from 2007. Right. I love Lust Caution. That's one of my favorite movies. Uh, the, the actress uh, from there should have gotten uh, at least an Oscar nomination, maybe an award for her work in that movie. Um, then at number four, a choice from your list, Christopher Nolan. Uh, huge fan of the Christian Bale Batman movies, um, also Inception or Interstellar, Dunkirk, uh, even Tenet, even though by that point I was like, you know, I don't really get all of this guy's movies. Uh, he's still clearly a genius and still capable of delivering uh, great visuals. Um, number three on my list, um, one of the all-time greats. Well, I guess if they're on my list, of course they're an all-time great. But uh, Steven Spielberg, the uh, champion of blockbuster cinema from all the way back uh, in Jaws through E.T., Close Encounters, um, you know, too many too many blockbusters mm -hmm. to name. Uh, but even in recent years with uh, something as, as good as uh, Bridge of Spies, you know, that was a tremendous film from back in uh, 20, I think, 15 uh, just the way he pays attention to, to set decoration and the way everybody's dressed, just, um, you know, just a master craftsman. Right. Um, 
Number two, another choice from your list, Martin Scorsese. Um, again, very versatile. Uh, he's done, you know, of everybody associates him with, uh, you know, violent mobster movies, but, you know, he can then surprise you and go do a kid's movie like Hugo. Right. Um, or, uh, or Silence. Silence is maybe my favorite Martin Scorsese movie. It was my favorite movie of the year it was released. Uh, but it's just an epic masterpiece. Uh, and then, of course, you've got the uh, Raging Bull, Goodfellas, right. Irishman, Departed, Casino. Am I missing any other big mob ones? Uh, no, I think you've got them all there, maybe. Yeah. Okay, okay. And um, number one, another overlap, Quentin Tarantino. All right. I'm so, yes. happy. I'm so happy we overlapped on that one. Yes, we're, we, we definitely overlapped. Um, you could take certain screenplays of his and whittle it down to the highlights, and it will be the entire screenplay because his movies are so well-written and uh, so quotable and so memorable is, the, uh, yes. I guess, the big takeaway with him. You know, one of the things I like about Tarantino's last movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which, I mean, some people love it, some people hate it, which is kind of a, the way Tarantino is these days. But I think it was his most personal work because, you know, his main character, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio, is an aging actor, sort of aging his way out into obscurity in Hollywood. And I almost think in some ways it's it's sort of a self-critique for Tarantino. As he's said in the past here, he's considering retirement after his next movie. And I think it's that that idea that you we get a little bit worse every day. We get a little bit older. We get a little bit worse than our best every single day of our lives as we continue to live. And and I think it, in some ways it's, it felt like a personal work for Tarantino. Like maybe he was, you know, telling everybody like I may be, you know, getting a little older, but I could still produce a great work here. Much like uh, you know DiCaprio's character as he's trying to act to become a more serious actor. It kind of felt like a more personal kind of movie for Tarantino, I thought. Um, I, I suppose I can see him thinking that way, although, you know, Spielberg and Scorsese are much older than him and they're still doing great work. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, I love uh, I love Spielberg on the list as well. Um, he was a guy that almost made my list uh, really based off of two of my favorite films of his, Munich and Minority Report, are probably Munich, my favorite. Munich should have won Best Picture of the Year. Yeah, love Munich. Over, over Brokeback Mountain, hate to say it. Right, right. So, you know, Spielberg was very close, and he's also one of those event filmmakers, although, um, I, you know, I, I kind of would like to see Spielberg transition away from, like, you know, the Indiana Jones franchise, but although it doesn't seem like that's going to happen here, and just maybe do more personal works or maybe, you know, more dramas like Lincoln, for instance. But uh, definitely Spielberg was one of those guys that probably could have made my list somewhere as well. Um, Ang Lee, I love Ang Lee. I love Life of Pi, love Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, but yeah, I think for me, what maybe probably omitted him from my list is his last couple of outings just weren't, I mean, they, they just weren't there for me with uh, Billy Lynn and, and Gemini Man. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, was there, were there any other directors that you had considered for your uh, top five or who maybe uh, missed the cut? A lot of people are probably going to uh, think that uh, conspicuous by his absence is uh, Kevin Smith. Given oh, okay, how, yeah. uh, you know, obsessed with his movies. I've, I've been in, um, I was in the early 2000s, but he hasn't, uh, really brought it in the last 20 years or so. So uh, I felt like I had to leave him off the list. 
Okay. Um, another one who um, probably came uh, very close without really hitting the list for me was Alfonso Cuarón. Oh, yes, yes. Yes. Um, uh, Gravity just blew me away. Yeah. Uh, and he's got uh, so many other brilliant movies from Roma, uh, for which he won Best Director. Gravity, he won Best Director. He had, he's actually with uh, Ang Lee in having won the Best Director Oscar twice without either of his movies winning Best Picture. Right. Yeah, it was a, there was a lot of great. I mean, Guillermo del Toro could have made my list. Uh, Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu could have made my list as well. Just uh, really a renaissance in, in Hispanic filmmaking right now going on. Those three directors just seemingly seemingly knocking it out of the park almost every time they uh, step behind the camera. So a lot of great directors out there. He could have probably made a top 20 list and, and everybody would have been just an absolute star director. But, uh, well, Bob, um, glad we had some uh, matches on this list here. I was hopeful that uh, maybe Tarantino would make your list as well. So I didn't want you to give me the side. Ever. <laughs> I didn't want you to make give me the side eye look like, who's this guy liking Tarantino so much? But I just love him. I mean, like you said, his writing is uh, second to none. And, uh, you know, like I said, I think even the attention to detail on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood really made me feel like this guy is in com true command of his craft and uh, definitely can't wait to see if he does have one final movie. Maybe uh, it'll be uh, his masterpiece, or as he's recently said, maybe it'll be uh, really terrible, so he almost wants to go out while he's on top, which I can't blame him either, but uh, definitely would love to see more Tarantino. But uh, Well, Bob, uh, definitely uh, enjoy the list. Uh, we'll uh, definitely be talking to you next week. Thanks so much for joining us this week on The Ohioan. Yep, next week is uh, F9, Fast and Furious, right. Fast Saga. All right, yep. well, we can't miss that one, huh? Yep, yep, yep. Very <laughs> All good. right, Bob. Well, thanks Take so care. much. Appreciate it. Highlight of my week. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer. You know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.